I just wanted to mention this is something that Shane didn't mention it this morning. It didn't really come to our attention until late in the week. But St. Paul's United Church, some of you would know that over in the downtown Fredericton, they're struggling to find volunteers to help run an overnight warming center. They opened their church uh, nine at night until seven in the morning for the purpose of allowing homeless people in who need a warm place to be. Now really we're down to a month or so, but they've simply put out this word that they need more volunteers than they have. They need 14 more. It would involve going over, losing a night's sleep. They suggest you take a book. They want to assure any of you that might give a night now and then that it's a safe environment. Uh, the pastor says, pretty quiet, bring a book. Uh, even if you're interested and not sure you would or could do that, there's a training session this Thursday at 7 p.m. And that's at St. Paul's United on 224 York Street. So they asked us to put that out, and I hope that some of the Cross Point family uh, would consider that. When you see my sermon title this morning, which I believe is up there before you now, you might wonder how it is that I choose the subject for my sermons. And the truth is, I don't. I let the scripture determine what the topic will be. And so we're in Luke 13 today. And, uh, and the theme of the passage that we're looking at, this is not so much as we've been walking, traveling with Luke uh, these past uh, months. Some days we're dealing with an incident in the life of Jesus. But today we're dealing with more of a teaching session where Jesus was interrupted as he traveled. And so the title of my sermon today is a question that came to Jesus from the crowd. Father, as we look to your word this morning, there are folks here in this room that this is a very significant question for them because they've never seen the issue. And there may be family and friends who have never crossed the line, who have never become followers of yours. So, Father, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I battling something here with this, uh, John? It seems to come. Is it coming and going for you? Well, even if it goes, you stay, okay? Well, let's start in. We may have to put a mic on a stand here in front of me if it uh, uh, continues to interfere. When the first president of the United States, that would be George Washington, of course, was six years old, he was given the gift of a hatchet. And like most boys, he went around chopping everything in sight. And one day he came across a young English cherry tree of which his father was very proud. And he hacked at the tree, stripping off the bark, and the tree died. It was some time later that his father discovered what had happened to this pet tree of his, and he came into the house and he was angry. And he demanded to know who the mischievous person was who had cut away the bark from his tree and it would seem, it seemed that nobody 
had any idea what had happened to the tree. But at that moment, as the story goes, young George came into the house carrying his hatchet. George, said his father, do you know who has killed my beautiful little cherry tree yonder in the garden? I would not have taken five guineas for it. Well, this was a hard question to answer for young George, and he was a little staggered by the question at first, but he he recovered and cried out, I cannot tell a lie, Father. You know I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it with my little hatchet. Now, most of you have heard some version of that story. Some people would say, that's not history. It's just legend. It's just a story told about George. But interesting, isn't it? George Washington still today is known as the man who could not tell a lie. Now move ahead to the present day. Eight-year-old Jeffrey comes home from school having just been told the story about George Washington and the cherry tree, and he poses this question to his mother. Mom, do people who tell lies go to heaven? Says his mother, no, of course not. Well, says young Jeffrey, it must be awfully lonesome up there with only God and George Washington. (laughs) Jeff's question, though, was quite similar to the question we're dealing with today making the assumption that the standard must be so high for those who would enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that only a few get in. So this is the question that was shouted at Jesus as he passed through a town, according to the scripture. But let's read the whole thing, shall we, this morning? And we'll do it as we usually do, even odd. But you do the even-numbered verses this morning, which means a little different You start, go ahead, verse 22, please. Jesus. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied. But when the head of the house has locked the door... It will be too late. Then you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I do not know you. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you. Go away, all you who do evil. Then people will come from all over the world to take their places in the kingdom of God. So this is the question that I posed before us this morning from Luke chapter 13. Will only a few be saved? Now I suppose the question could have been answered by Jesus with a simple yes or no, but I'm I'm kind of guessing here that Jesus gave this questioner maybe a lot more than he wanted to hear. So let's take a look this morning at this question 
and Jesus' answer. The question again, will only a few be saved? And really, there are only two answers to this. And, and one answer would, is this, simply this. Many won't be saved. Not can't be saved, but many won't be saved. And that raises another question that I want to answer for you. And that's this, why? Why won't many be saved? Let me give you three reasons this morning why many will not make it into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Here's the first answer I would offer for you. Some think it's automatic, and it isn't. Some think it's automatic, and it isn't. As Jesus traveled around the towns and villages, it was, it was not uncommon for people to interrupt him as he traveled, and sometimes even while he was teaching, often with questions. Now, sometimes those questions were loaded. You know what I mean? I think you do by a loaded questions. Questions were often posed to Jesus to make a point. They didn't really want the answer. They were trying to make a statement. And it seems in this case, the questioner is assuming that the entry into the kingdom of God, entry into the kingdom of heaven was for Jews only. And since the questioner was a Jew, he was saying, making the statement, I know, Jesus, that for me it's automatic. And he thought only a few would make it, absolutely, and he would be one of the few. That's the mindset of the questioner. His attitude was, hey, Jesus, will there be others who make it, will it or will it just be me and my Jewish friends and, of course, you? And Jesus' answer had to be a shocker for him because Jesus' answer was simply this, then you, you, he says, will stand outside knocking and pleading. Now, it's very popular in our culture to think that entry into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven, and some people would put in parentheses, if indeed there is a heaven, Many people feel that it's, it's an automatic thing. Everyone, somewhere, somehow, some way, everyone will eventually make it into the kingdom. A while back, I watched a very funny comedy called Ghost Town. And, and in the, as the story goes in this movie, dentist Bertram Pincus is shocked to discover that after a near-death experience during a routine colonoscopy, he's suddenly able to talk to dead people. And he's constantly cornered by unhappy spirits. And these unhappy spirits are lingering around after their own death because they have unresolved issues. And one of these is the dearly departed Frank Herlihy. He's a lion, cheating, but likable, unrepentant adulterer who is hit by a bus on his way to a rendezvous with his girlfriend, a married man, of course. Well, Pincus, who's meeting all of these now dead people, helps Frank solve his issues. And at the end of the movie, Frank fades away, smiling, at peace, heading towards eternal bliss. 
Hear me this morning. You know this if you talk to people at all out there. Many people think it's popular to think that heaven is an automatic. It's a done deal for all of us decent, good neighbor, all of us nice people. And we would exclude maybe Hitler and Stalin and the unrepentant child molester and maybe a few others. But some way, somehow, some way, all, all will eventually find themselves in heaven. It's very popular in our culture today. Recent polls tell us that 8 out of 10 North Americans, and that would be Canadians and United States citizens, 8 out of 10 believe in an afterlife. 8 of 10. However, less than 1% of people would say, I believe I'm going to go to a place called hell. Well, do the math. That means 99% of people would say that heaven is an automatic for us good and decent people. But that is, don't you think, that that kind of thinking is a little hard to reconcile with Jesus' words here when he says... You just read it. The door to heaven is narrow. Making what point? It's narrow. Many won't be saved. So many won't be saved. And my question is why? First answer, some think it's automatic. It's not. And here's the second answer to the why question. Many won't be saved because some delay until it's too late. According to Jesus' words. I take you back to verse 25 and we read, When the head of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You see it? They knew where the door was. Jesus says, verse 25, You will stand outside the door, knocking and pleading, Open, Lord, open the door for us. There's a fellow named James who was always late for everything. Maybe you know James. He was late for appointments. He was late for meetings. He was late for work. He was late for family gatherings. Day after day, that's just who he was. He was the late James. One acquaintance one time said about him, James is never on time for anything. I believe that his ancestors must have come over on the June flower. I thought that was a better joke than that, I thought. I've mentioned this to you before, but it's a difficult thing to write a sermon and you come up with some humor and you think, that's really good, they're going to like that, and then you bombs like that. You really got... You got to help me out here. I'm not even going to try in the future if you don't help me. The June flower, the May flower, I know it's early in the morning. Listen to me this morning. The point being that some will delay until it's too late. I have an ongoing conversation with a man who lives in Yarmouth County. Next, I say it's ongoing because next time I go back, he's not strictly speaking a blood relative, but he's raised by my grandmother. And so I will visit him the next time I visit down there where I pastored 21 years. And so this conversation has been going on now almost 40 years. I can vividly recall a conversation with him in 1984. And I can recall a second, I can even remember where these conversations happened. And another conversation 30 years later in 2014. Hear me this morning. Same subject, 
Same conversation. Same logic. His words are very similar to this. I know, John, I'm thinking about it, but it's, it's a big decision. And I know it's a decision I need to make. My fear for this man is that he will wait until it's too late. Today, he's 85 years old. Jesus did say here in this passage that some would wait until too late. And I need to tell you this morning, can't find a trace in Scripture anywhere that we will be lingering around after our own death and so we get it right and have another go at it, a la Frank Hurley. No. Many won't be saved. So the first two whys are, why won't some be saved? Some think it's automatic and it isn't. Some delay until it's too late. And then here's a third reason why some won't make it. Some try the wrong door. Now, verse 26 says, but you will say, he's talking to the, question, the, the person who asked the question, but also I'm sure he's talking to many others in the crowd there and here. You will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. You see what they're saying? They're saying, hey, Jesus, you know me. I know you. We ate together. But it, according to Jesus, they did not enter the narrow door. There are folk who, who missed it. He's speaking to folks who will miss it. Are you hearing me? Even though they had some association with Jesus. They're saying, we listened to you teach. We followed you around. We sat and had dinner with you. They're saying, Jesus, we know you. We know you. We believe in you. I don't know about you. I've been a Christ follower since I was six. That's a very long time. And it troubles me when I read that scripture. Even after all these years, you know what I ask myself? Oh Lord, is it me? Hear me this morning. Could it be that not everyone who wears a cross around their neck, I often do, didn't wear one today, meant to and forgot it. Could it be that not everyone who wears a cross around their neck is a member of the kingdom? Could it be that not everyone who has a regular church habit is part of the family of God? In Florida, three weeks ago, I come up behind a car and the bumper sticker on the back said this. Are you a follower of Jesus or just a fan of Jesus? I thought, that's good. That's good. Loved ones, hear me this morning. Don't mistake the church door for the door. Don't, don't, mistake, don't mistake the good moral person door for the door to the kingdom. Don't mistake the religious door or the baptism door. It's possible for a person to get baptized and get nothing but wet. Don't, don't mistake the saying and a pray, an occasional prayer door for the door. These people that are in the crowd are saying, Jesus, I thought, I thought we had a relationship here. What's with this? And Jesus said, I don't know you. I don't know you? Many won't be saved. Why? Because some think it's automatic and it isn't. Some delay until it's too late. Some try the wrong door. That's the negative part of the sermon. Now let me turn the question around. But hear this. 
Many won't be saved, but many will be. Many will be saved. And I take you to verse 29. Then people, Jesus said, after laying the heavy on them, then he says, then, verse 29, then people will come from all over the world to take their places in the kingdom of God. What's he saying? He's saying, oh, many, many will enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on that day. And that raises the question, well, who then? Who? And there are several answers to that, and here's the first. Those, the first answer is this, those who work hard. Now, I'm going to stop here a minute because some of you are, you're not speaking out loud, but you're, you're screaming at me in your minds this morning saying, what is Pastor John? What are, I thought you believed in grace. I mean, don't you know Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 say, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's not the gift of God, not by works. What are you doing here, Pastor John? You're contradicting yourself. Now you hear me. Understand this. Yes, it's by grace. You can't earn it. Salvation is the gift of God. You don't work your way into the kingdom. But I want you to understand this. These words that I'm quoting you now, they're on the screen in front of you, are Jesus' words. And he says, work hard to get in. Now understand this. You don't earn your way in, but hard work is a characteristic of people who have experienced grace. You understanding this? Those, the more a person realizes and experiences grace, the more inclined they are to work, to work hard out of love and appreciation and devotion to our Father and to our God. Now, another translation, instead of saying work hard, says make every effort. And still another translation says, strive mightily. And then says, the door is narrow. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. Yes, it's by grace. It's a free gift of God. But Jesus is saying that it requires a commitment. Following me requires making hard choices. You still with me? Here's my question for you to think of this morning. Have we turned God sometimes, are we inclined to turn God into a doting grandpa? I know about doting grandpas. I am one, right? I'm not into discipline. Not with my grandkids. I'm just, I just love them when they act up, I hand them back, push them back over to their parents. I, I'm, I'm all about love, not discipline. That's their job, parents' job. Have we turned God into a doting grandpa who is eager to pour all kinds of blessings on us and demand very little from us in return? Have we, are we guilty of doing that? You think I'm exaggerating a little bit? Listen to this. George Gallup, you know the name. He's the guy that does all the polls, right? George Gallup of the Gallup poll contends that fewer than 10% Fewer than 10% of Christians in North America could be called deeply committed. Fewer than 10%. Gallup's findings also indicate that the majority who profess Christianity do not know the basic Christian teachings and do not act differently than those who claim not to be Christians. We are not invited to live an easy life, but it's a way of life that 
Jesus is saying, the life I'm calling you to, he's saying, compels constant striving and discipline. We're invited, we are invited, followers of Jesus, to live like Jesus did. And how, what did, these are some of Jesus' things. Jesus said we're to forgive 70 times 7. And that doesn't mean 490. That's just an expression. That means an endless number of times we are supposed to forgive. Does that sound easy to you? Not to me. We're invited. We're invited. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. People treat us hatefully. We're supposed to treat them with love and kindness. That sound easy to you? Not to me. We're invited to share our wealth with people who have less. We're invited to lay down our life for our friends. And how about this one? We're invited to pick up our cross. You know what happened on that cross. We're invited to pick up a cross and follow him. We're invited to be thankful in every circumstance. You find that one easy? I don't. We're invited to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That's narrow. And furthermore, it's hard. Fritz Kreisler was an Austrian violinist, one of the greatest violin players of all time. And after one of his concerts, a young lady rushed up to him and, and gushed and said, I would give my life to be able to play like that. He looked at her and said, that's what I gave. And, and I say to you this morning, just reading the book here. The Christian way of life is a climb up a mountain pathway towards a peak which we will never reach in this world, but we're to keep a climb. It was said of two gallant climbers who died on Mount Everest when last seen they were headed for the top. I'd like people to say that about me one day. Last time I saw him, he was headed up. It's, a ever, it's ever a climb and it's hard. Well, let's leave that one. Maybe you'll like this next one more than you like that one. Who will be saved? Yes, those who work hard. And, and here's the next one. Those who know him. And he will reply, verse 27, to those who are outside a locked door. I tell you, I don't know you. Go away. Do you know him? Do you Love him? Do you trust him? Do you serve him? Back in the 1970s, I sang in a family quartet with my wife, Willow Ann, and Debbie, who's right here, and her husband's now in heaven, Connard. The four of us sang here at Cross Point and other places where we were invited to go sing. Sometimes we did a concert, a dozen or 13, 14 songs in an hour plus and often we closed with this song. Many kingdoms you may share. You may be a millionaire. But without Jesus, you won't make heaven. Deeds and titles you may claim. Everybody know your name. But without Jesus, you won't make heaven. When Christ shall come, all the saints of God will meet him in the air. But without Jesus... You won't make heaven. Many will be saved. Who? Those who work hard. Those who know Jesus. 
And I know I'm talking to a few here in this room this morning to whom this last one applies. You. You will make heaven if you will. It's up to you. Are you sure? The door is not yet closed. It's, it's not locked. It's wide open still today and all who will may enter. Even the likes of me and the likes of you. It's a marvelous thing. I'm going to share the gospel with you this morning. Many of you have seen it presented like this before. And I'm going to use this simple presentation to end the sermons several times between now and the Easter season and through Mother's Day. So you're going to see it over and over again. And here's how it goes. God wants all of us to be saved. He wants all of us to enter the door to heaven. He loves us. But all of us, no exceptions to this, all of us have separated ourselves from God. Every one of us, says the Bible, have sinned. Every one of us have thought things we shouldn't have thought and spoken words we shouldn't have spoken. All of us have done things that we regret. The Bible says that every one of us have separated ourselves from God. And you know what? I, I think we all have a sense that this is so. And so we instinctively do things to try to bridge the gap between God and us. We instinctively think, well, I, I think I'm going, to, I'm going to be a good person and earn some points with God. I'm going to... Uh, attend church, I'm going to do good deeds, I'm going to be a good neighbor. But the Bible makes it so clear it doesn't work. Nothing works. There's nothing that we can ever do to, to cross the gap, to bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful us. And we're locked outside. Outside. We have no hope and we're under a death sentence. That's the bad news. This would be a real bad time to leave. Here's the good news. But God loves us so much, he couldn't let that happen. God made it possible for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. And how did he do that? He built a bridge. He built a bridge between himself and us. And the bridge was formed when Jesus died on that cross. That death that he died on that cross was in your place. He took the punishment for sins that you have committed and I have committed. And when he died on that cross, he canceled, he crossed out, he did away with our death sentence. And here's the wonderful truth. When we admit simply admit that we are sinners and when we repent repent means that we stop doing the things with God's help that we know to be wrong and we ask him for forgiveness and put our trust in Jesus Christ we come into a relationship with him and we come to know him and we can know that we are among those who are saved is that you? Is that you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we come down to the end of this service this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you're in this crowd 
and you're thinking just this, I wish I knew, I wish I knew for sure that my sins are forgiven. I wish I knew for sure that I am among the few, that I am among those who will one day enter the kingdom of God and Jesus will say, welcome to my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know it for sure? Would you like this very minute to make sure? You could, you know, if you pray this prayer from your heart and mean it, and I invite you to do that. I invite you to pray this prayer. Would you do it? Right out loud. Right out loud. Phrase at a time after me. Would you pray this prayer? And I want to invite those of you present in the room this morning that maybe it's been decades since you made it certain and entered the kingdom. Or maybe it's been a year, two, or three, or maybe it's been very recent. Why don't you pray this too? For you, it's an affirmation of a, of a decision that you've already made. You're just kind of affirming it this morning. You're confirming it. But if you pray this prayer this morning, if this is your day, after we sing this song, there are going to be those at the front. They're going to have a Bible in hand. And I invite you to take the yes card this morning and just bring it forward. Put it in their hand. Take a scripture with you. And as an affirmation that today I made this decision. Would you pray with me? Read out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. I turn from my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I thank you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. I will live for you and serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If this is your day of decision, at the end of the service, I invite you to visit the, those that are at the altar this morning. and Give them the card. Take a scripture with you. Let's stand and worship together.